The marvelous message that Jesus presented to us this morning, he quoted what Jesus quoted from Isaiah about himself, that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so it is that we have been charged to carry the truth of the gospel by faith to the ends of the earth and to see captives released from the bondage of their sin. And we do so at the command of Christ. We do so in the power of Christ. We do so for the kingdom of Christ, for the glory of Christ. And we do so because Christ is in us and he is the hope of glory. Matthew has been presenting throughout the gospel the characters of our king, and we come tonight to the last of our Advent services. Tomorrow night is the Christmas Eve service, which for us will be our Christmas Day service, if you will, next Sunday, the first Sunday of, of Christmas. But as we look back, to the coming of our Redeemer, and we will do so through the prophet Isaiah tonight, we also must always remember to look forward because we will walk by faith. We will continue to live the life, not by what we see, but the life of Christ in us until he returns or until he calls us home. And so he is the true king. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is the one who is named Jesus, who would save his people from their sins. And Jesus has shown us the very heart of God. Matthew has recorded it. Jesus looked upon the crowds, a lost humanity, harassed, helpless, weary from spirit. Spiritual work that was fruitless and empty, heavy laden by great rules and works righteousness, oppressed by, by even their own religious leaders. And he's said in that compassion, come unto me. Come unto me. And we who have despaired of our own futile efforts to please God, have turned in faith to Christ. And we've repented of our sin and the life we now live, we live in the very Son of God. And yet he came to his own. John tells us in his gospel that his own did not receive him. One greater than the temple had come. One greater than David the king had come. And he was at work among them. And those who should have received him with great joy, in verse 14 of Matthew 12, went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. And throughout the rest of this gospel, we will see the ramping up of Pharisaic wrath throughout the remainder of, of, of the life of Jesus Christ at wrath, which would culminate in the murder of the Son of God, that which God designed for our redemption, but evil men used trying to gain their own purposes. 
And so as the Pharisees began to conspire, Matthew tells us in verse 15 of Matthew 12 that Jesus was aware of this. He withdrew from there. Many followed him, and he healed them all, and he ordered them not to make him known, as Jesus often did. He withdrew from intense opposition. That's an interesting thing, because we would think that in the power of God and in the absolute assurance that he was on God's mission as the Son of God, man in the form of a human being, you would think that he would just simply take it, but it was not time for him to take it. He withdrew. Until his appointed hour arrived, the time for his sacrificial death, Jesus would remove himself from those who would take his life. He instructed his disciples to do the same thing. Our our mission board, our international mission board, came under some criticism some years ago because uh, they they took the missionaries and withdrew them from a couple of dangerous places, Venezuela being one of them. But there is wisdom in this. There's wisdom in this. Eventually, Jesus' disciples and many of our missionaries will give up their lives for his name's sake. Every disciple, even John, died in captivity perhaps, but he died as a a witness of what Christ had done and all the other disciples, we believe, were, were martyred. Jesus didn't tell them to invite death. Our death will come on the day that God has appointed, and it will come at the hands of those that he's appointed to take them. But in the meantime, Jesus, his disciples, the missionaries that are scattered to the ends of the earth, and we continue in the ministry that is laid out before us and them. Every day, we go to work for the kingdom, going forth in the power of Christ, to proclaim the gospel to those that are in darkness, to those that are in captivity. Jesus pressed on. He knew the Pharisees were designing a way to kill him, and yet he just continued his ministry. And verse 15 says that many followed him, and he healed them all made the comment that I borrowed from someone somewhere that that if Jesus had continued his ministry in Palestine, there would not have been a sick person there for he would have healed them all. And when we think of Jesus bringing sight to the blind, we have episodes of that throughout the Gospels, bringing hearing to those who are deaf, bringing uh, uh, strength to those who were lame in their feet or in their hands. We see this and we realize that that was part of his messianic qualifications. But the reality is that his greatest healing comes in the Spirit. For you and I once were spiritually blind, spiritually deaf, spiritually withered, spiritually lame. And he has given us life and health and we are able to come into the 
presence of the Lord because of his accomplished work. Jesus didn't stop proclaiming the gospel even on the cross. So he healed them all as he continued to minister. And then, as he had done on previous occasions, he, he, uh, he asked them, don't tell anybody about me. Don't tell anybody about me. And I believe that he did this to avoid, first, an untimely arrest, and second, uh, an untimely execution. Because he would die at the hands of the people that God had appointed on an appointed day. We see examples of this. He preached in his hometown of Nazareth. And when he did so, he made it clear that the gospel was also for for the Gentiles. And the people of Nazareth, by and large, a Jewish population, hated this. It says in Luke chapter 4, Verses 28 through 30. I'm going to get through this despite my voice. Because just a minute, it's going to clear itself up. Or not. Verse 28. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Messiah was to come to the Jews. Salvation was of the Jews. Jews were God's chosen people, not the Gentiles, and Christ made it very clear through his teaching that the gospel would reach the Gentiles, and they rose up and drove him out of the town, brought him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. And then verse 30 is a beautiful little verse, but passing through their midst, he went away. He went away. It was not his day. It was not his hour. And they had received the blessing of Messiah growing up in their village, and now they reject him outright and cursed they became. Not only would he avoid an early arrest and execution and those who would uh, harm him, he also avoided those who would make him the wrong kind of king at the wrong time. After the feeding of the 5,000 in John chapter 6, they all wanted him to be king. Why? Welfare state. Never have to work another day. All the fish and bread we can eat for as long as we want. And if we get a little sick, he'll make us well. We make him king. But Jesus wasn't going to be that kind of king. Yes, he did those things. But again, it was to show the need for spiritual redemption and salvation and that it was God who brings healing and God who brings spiritual nourishment. And he was displaying the the, the character and the power of God, not setting up his own kingdom. John 6.15 tells us, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. He just went away. 
Because Jesus, while he, he made a great stir throughout Galilee, and when his Judean ministry began, he also made a great stir there. It was not him drawing attention to himself with loud horns and blowing and saying, Here am I! He just quietly moved from town to town to town, doing the work of him who sent him. Look at Matthew 12, look in verse 17 through 21. Matthew tells us that this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. That his removing himself from the danger, that his uh, continuing to heal the people and to do so with great silence was predicted by the prophet. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him. He will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name... The Gentiles will hope. Matthew is quoting with some uh, differences from Isaiah chapter 42. And I'm going to ask you to turn back to the book of Isaiah and look at chapter 42. This is the first of what are known as the servant songs. They became known that uh, in 1892, the publishing of a commentary on Isaiah by Bernhard Dumm. And uh, he, he said that Isaiah 42 verses there, Isaiah 49, Isaiah 50, Isaiah 52 and 53, that these were the servant songs Look at Isaiah 42, verse 1. Behold my servant. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, and whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nation. Notice that he is the Lord's servant. He is the Father's servant. He is, God says, my servant. This is no ordinary servant. Now often uh, in Scripture, men are known as servants of God. Abraham, the patriarchs, Moses, David, the prophets, even King Nebuchadnezzar. They're all called servant of God. But they were raised up for a time to accomplish a certain thing that, that the Lord wanted them to accomplish, to proclaim certain truths at certain times, at certain junctures, to lead his people in certain ways, to go and form the nations. All of these things, they were raised up for a season. But this one, this one, that Isaiah is undoubtedly referring to here. This is the one God has chosen to be the Savior of the world. This choosing is a firm and irrevocable decision by God 
It is determined adoption. I have chosen this one. He is my heir. He will never be cast aside. And God chose this divine servant. We know his name is Jesus. Chose him. He is the only one who was qualified to redeem a lost humanity. This chosen one is the Father's beloved, the one with whom he is well pleased. Those hated by many, rejected by his own people, rejected by the religious leaders who should have known him, though he is hated by the world, he is the beloved of the Father, and he is well pleased with him. You recall at his baptism, the voice rang out. The Father spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am, what? Well pleased. Well pleased. When we come in our study to Matthew 17 and verse 5 at the transfiguration of our Lord, a bright cloud appeared overshadowed Jesus and his disciples. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. God speaking through Isaiah, reflected in Matthew, I have put my spirit upon him. I am upholding him by my right hand, but I have put my spirit upon him. And you might say, he's the son of God. He's deity. He has existed from time eternal. How is it that he needs the power of the spirit of God in his humanity? He was required to walk in the spirit. I put my spirit upon him. God empowered his humanity to bring forth justice, to bring forth redemption to the nations. Matthew explained it this way in his text. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. His redemption has reached far beyond Israel. His redemption has reached to you. Whatever people group you are from, whatever nation you come from, his gospel has reached to you by the power of the Spirit. And he has everything that the nations need. He will even blot out their spiritual ignorance. All of this is found in the one that God calls my servant. There in verse 2 of Isaiah 42, uh, he speaks to the manner in which uh, this servant would do his work. He says, he will not cry aloud or lift a voice or make it heard in the street. Again, he is meek and lowly of heart. He's modest, unlike the rulers of the ages, some of which God himself has used. If you're there in Isaiah 42, just turn back one page to Isaiah 41. Isaiah 41. During this season, Israel is in captivity. 
These things are, are, will be in captivity. These things are all coming. And God would raise up one as a deliverer. Look at verse 1 through 4. Listen to me in silence, O coastlands. And by the way, when you hear that term, O coastlands, those are the distant nations. Listen to me in silence, O nations, O coastlands. Let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach. Let them speak. Let us draw near for judgment. God is saying to the Gentile nations, gather your gods and come, and we will see who is God. And then the question comes, who stirred up the one from the east whom victory meets at every step? He gives up nations before him so that he tramples kings underfoot. He makes them like dust with his sword, like driven stubble with his bow. He pursues them and passes on safely by paths his feet have not yet trod. And this, my friends, is is a prophecy of the coming of Cyrus the Persian coming to defeat the Babylonians, to rescue many of the people of the Jews and send them back to Jerusalem. But look at verse 4. Who has performed and done this? Calling the generations from the beginning. I, the Lord, the first, and with the last, I am he. God raises up a temporary redeemer. But make no mistake, God was using him for momentary purposes, but his servant Jesus would accomplish God's eternal purpose of the redemption of a people from every tribe and every nation from the distant coastlands. Jesus' aim was to carry the gospel to all peoples, and yet, as we have seen, he shunned the publicity Good publicity or bad? Matthew tells us that he would not be quarrelsome. Jesus wasn't out picking a fight with the religious leaders, not the Pharisees or the Sadducees or or anyone else. He wasn't trying to force his message on anyone, not even those enemies. He simply told them the truth. And if they received it, then they would live in blessing for all eternity. And if they rejected it outright, they would go to judgment. It's the same message we take today. We're not trying to browbeat anybody into the kingdom. I've probably shared with you an event that took place on the mission field, and I was in country at the time, but I wasn't on the site where a a, a particular missionary was going and was literally forcing people down upon their knees. Forcing them to pray some prayer that they might rise up redeemed and so he could put another hash mark. No, that is not what we do. We go forth and we sow precious seed everywhere. 
We don't have to stomp it down. We don't have to do anything because the power of the Word of God is at work by the power of the Spirit in lives. Jesus wasn't forcing that message. He simply brought the truth. And some received it and some rejected it. It's interesting that Paul, in in describing the qualifications for elder, for bishop, a a leader within the church, in in 1 Timothy chapter 3, says uh, that that the, the, the qualified elder is not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. And indeed, we all, whether we are leaders in the church or using our gifts in various and sundry things throughout uh, the ministry of the congregation, we are all looking at Christ, looking at his lowliness, looking at his meekness. Meekness is not weakness. Jesus had the power of God at his disposal, and yet he learned submission to the will of the Father and willingly walked dirty, dusty roads where people hated him, ultimately mistreated him, and crucified him. But you and I learn that meekness. We learn that lowliness of heart. And so how do we walk? Do we walk in arrogance? We're somebody because we're children of God? No. We are just blessed because we are children of God, and we are so blessed and so grateful that we want others to know that truth. And so what do we do? We walk seasoned with grace with each other, but particularly those outside the faith. And what do we do? We proclaim the truth in love and compassion. And know this, some will hate you. Some will hate you. And there will be some in your jobs that will instantly go to work figuring out how to get rid of you. Tommy and Josh, probably not going to happen here. But we continue on. In in verse 3 of Isaiah 42, uh, Isaiah begins, uh, the Lord speaking, to describe the pastoral care. Look at this. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Now, this builds on the manner, as as Matthew quotes this, this builds on the manner in which Jesus worked. Moving in silence, telling people, don't tell people about me, not yet. And it was as if he wouldn't even disturb a a bruised reed as he moved past it, or or that he wouldn't disturb a, a wick that was about to go out, that the wind of his passing wouldn't blow it out. It speaks to his, 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 his silence, but it also speaks to his manner of ministry because the people who were all around him could be likened unto bruised reeds, bruised reeds that could easily be broken. 
or they could be perceived as faintly burning little wicks so easily snuffed out. The servant, Jesus, seeing the crowd, moved with tender compassion toward them, saw that they were wounded and bruised from life's experiences and by uh, religious legalism and demanding impossible rules that were placed on them by their own religious leaders, rules and regulations. They were bruised. They were bent. They were not yet completely broken, and he would take tender care of them. He would not break them for he had great compassion for their soul, Jew and Gentile alike. And around him and around us today, the flame of hope is, is, is going out in life after life after life. And they had long awaited the coming of Messiah, and they had grown weary in the waiting And the flame of hope for salvation had dwindled. But instead of extinguishing it, Jesus fanned the flame. He cupped his hands around them gently and blew the gentle breeze of the Spirit of God upon them. And they flamed up. And in that way, he faithfully brought forth justice and wisdom. For the one who said, come unto me, brought salvation in his wings. The task would be arduous. The Lord's ministry for three years was probably more than any person could stand. Enemies arose, inflamed by Satan. Enemies who fanned their own flames of hatred against the true God, against his Christ, against his people. And the servant might have become overwhelmed by the enormous task that was faced by so much opposition. But no, he will not grow faith, faint, verse 4 says. He will not be discouraged until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. By the power of the Spirit and the strong right arm of God, the Lord Jesus carried out the mission that was given to him. He would not grow faint. He would not be discouraged. He would go all the way to the cross. And while it looked to all of the world and to Satan himself as if that that was a dismal failure of a mission, God raised him from the dead and he has gained our salvation and our eternal life. This is the message of grace. This is the message of Christmas. This is the message of the prophets. And here, for the very first time, we catch a little glimmer of a suffering servant. The suffering that he must endure. The hostility that he would encounter. But the joy that was set before him was the glory of heaven 
And the knowledge that he would not be completely rejected. He would be never rejected by his father. But even those in the far distant nations, some would receive him. The grace of God by the power of the Holy Spirit will be at work even in hearts of some that are so far away from the roads that Jesus walked. And here we stand. Here we sit. In his name, Matthew says, the Gentiles will hope. This is the message of the Redeemer born in Bethlehem. Born to set his people free. And as you and I minister, we should look like Christ. We should be like Christ. We should bear his qualities. Why? Because we have been born again by the Spirit, and it is the Spirit of Christ that indwells us. And it is because of His accomplished work that we live and move and breathe. And now, as He was the beloved of the Father, we are also the beloved of God because of Christ. His Spirit empowers us, enables us to carry the message to the nations. As we think of international mission board missionaries as well as those from other sending groups, we think of, of, of the Carlsons here with us and those who have been appointed to go to the nations. He is strengthening them. He is enabling them to carry that message. And though many times we are hated, know this, some are longing for the gospel. Oh, it might be a dim, little, unconscious desire. But it may be that it has been fanned up by the Spirit of God and that it is a flaming, yearning deep within them. Tell us the truth. That's what the people all around us are saying. When Jesus declared justice, he was just telling them the truth. And that's what people need to know. There is judgment coming, but there is one Redeemer whose birth we celebrate, but whose life we live, the life of Christ. And so with gracious and sure perseverance, you and I must carry out the ministries that have been entrusted to us, caring for the bruised, and for those whose light is nearly gone. Look again in Isaiah chapter 42. Look verses 5 through 9. Thus says the God, the Lord, who created heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it, and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit 
and darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. And he told them to his servant, and his servant has revealed this to us. And so the angels proclaimed there in the little Judean mountainside, hillside, to unlikely people sitting in darkness, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for the nations. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. If I don't see you again, I bid you a very Merry Christmas as we celebrate the coming of God's precious servant, the one who has accomplished all for us and the one who leads us forth in ways of righteousness. Father, take us from this place in safety. Carry us to our homes. Help our minds to be soaking in your truth. Help us to always be looking to the life that Jesus lived for our model that we might know how it is that we should live and that we might know how it is that we should die. Hear our prayer, O Lord. Incline your ear to us. Grant us your grace more and more because of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.